Hi, this is Steve Campbell, and this show was also recorded on video. You can find the video at patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of the Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And as you can tell if you listen to last week's show, when Taylor is recording her screen and she doesn't have her script up in front of her, it gets more interesting. But this week's interesting <laughs> was better than last week's interesting because I didn't have to jump in and save the day. <laughs> so good job. I oh. bet you practiced all week. Yeah, totally not. And I'm sorry, I deprived you of being my hero. But there will be plenty of more other opportunities. <laughs> all right. Um, we would normally have chit-chat here. But uh, this is going to be another longer show with plenty of meat, so we're going to skip the chit-chat for this week's show as well and get right to um, the manuscript that, that Carol Newsom, author C.A. Newsom, sent us for the first book in her series. It's called A Shot in the Bark. She is relaunching the series and trying to bring her craft in the first couple of books up to the point where it is right now. And last week we worked on the prologue. This week, Taylor, I think, is going to instruct us a little bit on uh, her thoughts on chapter one and how it, it, there will be a long disclaimer. That's why we don't have time for chit chat because of the, dis of the disclaimer. <laughs> but there will be a disclaimer about what she's actually doing and what she's not doing. But uh, we we are doing video for this, so you can find it on the uh, the Taylor Stevens Show website. But we're going to try and do it in such a way that you get 90% of the value if you're just listening while you're out running or doing dishes or whatever. That's the goal anyway, because it's really hard to do this type of um, word manipulation uh, with with only talking about it. it writing and, and such is such a visual um I want to say enterprise experience, whatever. Me, out of words. Can't find the right one. Where's the thesaurus <laughs> when I need it? Um, so, yeah, we're going to continue on. And this this first chapter here is, again, it's, it's the opening of a book. We want to make it as strong as we possibly can. And um, when, when Carol sent it to me, her concerns, and again, for anybody who wasn't with us last week, this is a rewrite. The book has already been out, available to, to the public. It's got fantastic reviews on it. And, and reading what I've read, I can totally see why. She's, she's done great with her characterizations, and I love it. She's, but her skills as an author, her craft, have grown so much in the numerous books she's written since this start of the series that she wants to now go back and kind of kick it up to speed. And in doing that, in writing, rewriting the first chapter, she's taken out a lot of details. And she was concerned that someone coming to this series fresh and reading this chapter fresh would still understand that the main character was kind of in a foul mood. Um, we don't know why immediately, but it just sort of, this is how it opens. And she wanted to make sure that it conveyed what it needed to convey. And, of course, you know, I do what I do. So we're going to do what we did last week where Steve's going to read it for you, and then we'll go into my notes. 
And I apologize, but I don't have a clean copy that I can just show to you on the screen while he reads it. So for those of you who are coming here for video and not just audio, you're going to have to really listen. All right, Steve, go for it. All right. Chapter one, Saturday, May 7th. Unknown entity at two o'clock. This was Terry, a clone of Terry Roosevelt from his portly years, sitting on the other side of the picnic table where Leah groomed her golden retriever. Next to her, Jim said, I vote for romantic assig, assassination. Leah stopped pulling twigs from Honey's tail feathers and turned her attention to the dog park parking lot, though she wasn't in the mood for their usual game of stranger danger. The game had grown out of their collective need to know when unknown and possibly dangerous dogs were entering the park. So many dogless drivers used the lot for other purposes. Vigilance had morphed into speculation and then entertainment. A Mazda Miata in the classic Jaguar green positioned itself on the far side of the lot, away from the other cars. Leah supplied Jim's missing word. Assignation? Terry weighed in. Nah, it's some hipster idiot picking up his daily hit of meth. Recreational pharmaceuticals. Okay, I'll play, Leah said. Covert operator trading military secrets. How do you know he doesn't have a dog? Maybe he parked there so his car wouldn't get scratched. Look at that shine. The jerk hand waxes his car every week. He won't let dog hairs in it. Sorry, Jackson. Terry said to the hound mix he was scratching behind the ears. Your claws will never sink into his leather upholstery. He could have a dog that doesn't shed, Jim argued. No self-respecting owner of a Miata would own a poodle. It would destroy his manhood. Jim's hoary eyebrows furrowed. Maybe he vacuums his car when he waxes it. Leah interrupted the bickering, though she knew Jim and Terry enjoyed it. Can you guys see the interior? If it's black, he doesn't have a dog. Everything shows on black. A guy who hand waxes his car would care. She loaded a tennis ball into her chucket ball launcher and lobbed it down the hill. Honey, of the vegetation-free tail, leapt off the table and scrambled after it. The car continued to sit. Damn, unauthorized work break, Terry said, or realtor between appointments. How's a realtor going to drive a couple to a listing in that, Jim demanded. Jim has a point, Leah said. Wait. Here comes a minivan. Mr. Miata arrived early for the handoff to scope out the area for an enemy presence. Can't stash a rocket launcher in that trunk. He's selling a portable drive with a worm to penetrate the Department of Defense firewall. Honey returned, dropping the now slobbery ball at Leah's feet. Leah sent it, bouncing down the hill. Leah's other dog, a schnauzer named Chewy, returned from his usual... Ah, correct. I'm not sure what that Perignation. word is. Perignations. Okay, for a pet before trotting off to sniff at the base of a tree. It's a woman in the van. Obviously, she's late, Terry said. Female drug dealer, Jim asked. No drug dealer drives a minivan. Soccer mom seeking coitus while her, while her kids are at practice, Terry said. Jim scowled. I called romance. You have to make the case for drugs. Which vehicle will they leave in, Leah asked. The Miata is sexier, but the van is less obvious. They won't leave, Terry said. He'll get in the van for love in a sea of stray Cheerios. Ooh, 
Chewie returned to sniff around Leah's an- ankles, looking for the source of her distress. She ruffled his ears. It's all right, little man. The woman exited the van and opened the sliding door, lifting a young boy down. Ah, Terry said, custodial handoff. I win then, Leah said. Chewie stretched his neck in canine bliss. How do you figure, Terry said. A transaction between hostiles. That comes closest to the spy scenario. Children come from romance, Jim said. I win. Dare I make the case that she was under the influence when she got pregnant, Terry asked. No, Leah and Jim chorused. I'll split the points with Jim, Leah said. Do these points mean anything? I want, I want a stake when I beat Terry to 100. Make it 500, Terry said, and it's a bet. We'll be dead before either of us makes it that far. You're just saying that so you don't have to pay up. The van left. A standard poodle jumped out of the Miata. Man, child, and dog headed into the woods surrounding the dog park. Ha! Jim sneered. He looks manly enough to me, Leah said. They waited until the mom was out of sight before they went into the woods. I bet she thinks Junior is coyote bait and doesn't approve. A green forester turned into the lot. Leah jumped down from the table. I want to talk to Anna. She headed for the gate, honey and chewy at her side. Feminazi plotting? I must be on my guard, Terry said. Leah waved him off without bothering to look back. And that's the end of the scene, or the end of the material that we have. So here are my thoughts on that. First of all, I really, really love this scene. I love the interaction between the characters, and I love the banter. And it really could be a grab-you-and-don't-let-go opening, but it struggles with making sure the reader has all the parts to make the moving picture. And almost all of the struggles are anchoring issues, where the reader doesn't know who's talking until after words have been said. Um, some of the the pieces of the whole are scattered so that they're not connected and so the logic's not flowing the way that it could to keep the mind just going and getting it from place to place. Right now, it's just a lot of talking, but the banter is really, really clever, and I love it. And so if we go back to that example of the reading mind being dark and silent and only able to hear and see based on the exact words in the page, that's where we we can see that these anchors that I'm talking about, they're missing on the macro level, which is the overall scene arc, and they're also missing on the micro level, which is the missing scene. Uh, Sorry, um, it's within the conversation, the actual dialogue inside the scene. And so, again, this is good. There, you know, Carol is a strong writer. And the only reason that I'm even coming up with stuff is because I was asked to. And it also gives a good um, learning experience for our listeners and and those who choose to view this. So minus the prologue, this is the opening chapter of the book. We have to get it right. And this is especially critical when the book opens with, multi- with its multiple people all at once. It's a, it opens right in a conversation. And that's brilliant. Um, there is a term for it. And since I don't speak Latin and I don't know how to pronounce words, I just my eyes just know what it means and it keeps on going. So I'm not even going to try. But it basically means like in the middle of the action is when you start your story. And that's exactly what Carol did here. And that is fantastic. 
fantastic. But because we have three people, it can also start us off in the middle of the story with no grounding and be confusing. So we have to take a, take special care when we open in a multi-person opening that the reader doesn't get lost right off the bat. And so that's what our anchoring is going to try and do is, is keep things flowing really smoothly. Another thing to keep in mind, and this is especially, I, I think I'm aware of this probably more than the average person even more than the average writer in this very moment, because I'm tasked with having to show how this is done. And as I begin to do that, I realize I don't have all the pieces. I do not know this story. I do not know these characters. I do not know anything. And that doesn't mean that I can't do a good job, but it means that I'm going to be making a lot of guesswork to try and, because there are things about characters that affect everything that they do in their interaction. It's kind of like um, a pinball machine. When, that, when, the, when the pinball hits one thing, something happens, and that causes something else to happen. And all these, that's how our human interactions are. And without knowing how a character feels about another character, without knowing the basis of their relationship, the author can't effectively interject those little nods and looks or tones or any of that. And so I, I'm working blind. And that that's fine because this scene works well without any of that. But I, I made out a list here as I was talking to Carol about it of things that even if they don't show up on the page, the author absolutely has to know them. And Carol and I had like a really fun back and forth afterwards. And she filled me in. She gave me all the details. And after she gave me all the details and I went back and I looked at this, I was like, you know, honestly, even knowing all that I know now, I don't really think that I would have changed that much in how the scene is structured because the type of character interactions you've just explained to me are so fun to discover as the story progresses. That's half the fun of the story is learning about these characters as we go. But all of that said, I'm still going to read this for you so that those who are listening can be mindful that these are things, even if they never show up on the page directly, even if they're never explained to the readers, you as the author absolutely have to know this in order to help create a sense of place, a connection, help ground the scene in the readers. How old are the characters as they relate to each other? Not actual numbers specifically, but the age and dynamic between them. Now, when I read this scene, as Carol wrote it, my automatic assumption was that this was sort of a, a younger woman with two older men, grumpy old men type things, um, even though it's never explicitly stated. Not that they're grumpy, but, you know, that kind of a age thing. And I, and I was right. And that is testament to Carol's characterization that all of that came out in the dialogue. There's nothing in there. I mean, a few tiny little hints, but really not a lot that, that gives that away. So Carol gets huge kudos for being able to express through dialogue enough for me to get a picture of who these characters were that I was dealing with. So how long have the characters known each other? How long have they been coming to the dog park? If they met each other, at the, did they meet each other at the dog park? Were their group dynamics? Are they all equals? Are they friends? Are they friends outside the dog, dog park? Who's low, high woman, man on the totem pole? Every group has a pecking order. What kind of day is it? Are they warm, cold, thirsty? Are they in the middle of the city, suburbia? What kind of foliage and verdure comprises the woods around them? Pine, deciduous, scrub, and brush? So the reader doesn't have to know these details, but the author does. And that's going to give texture to each scene. Um, and, and add in, keep, keep things from being too vague. 
the, the more vague something is, the, the more the reader has to struggle to put together a picture and the, and the bigger chance there is that it's going to be wrong. And I run into this myself quite often. As, as vivid as my writing is, there are some things that I just don't go into too much detail about. I don't go into a lot of character description detail. I, it's all there in the books, but it's not explicitly spelled out. And because I say, for example, Vanessa Michael Monroe is taller than the average man, but I don't go out and say she's five foot ten. Anyone who's not really paying attention to that automatically conflates her with Elizabeth Salander and thinks that she's this small, petite little thing. Now, that's my fault. Um, there are people who don't know if Monroe is black or white. Why? Because she was born in Africa. It doesn't matter that she was born to missionary parents. She was born in Africa, so that conjures an image. But I don't want to go around saying she's white. Um, so I find other ways to do it. And it's in there. It's all in the text. The same with Miles Bradford. Um, people sometimes wonder if he's black, too. But it's funny because there are characters who are black, but nobody ever asks me if they're white. So it's, it's, it's just a very interesting conundrum. And it all has to do with how much detail to put in. And if you find the same people are having the same issues over and over, well, you know, that's your weak spot. And I know that's my weak spot. And I just don't want to change it. So that's, that's, my, <laughs> that's my call. You know, every, every author gets to decide what they want to do. So anyway, back to this scene, what we have now is a foundation for really, really good character interaction. But there are more or less three characters sitting on a table beside a parking lot in the middle of a dark gray void. So that could be good. That could be bad. It, it really depends on what the author is trying to accomplish here. I, think, I really do think Carol did a good job with it. And so, but I've gone ahead and um, put, I, I, of course, you know, me being me, there's comments everywhere. And I've, and I, and as we did with the prologue, I went ahead and rewrote it as how I would do if this was my book. And if I actually knew anything about these characters, which I absolutely don't. So um, I'll just go ahead and skip the five minute disclaimer here. Um, my way is not the way this is just, you know, me trying to help and everything in here is a placeholder and I'll try and do my best to explain what I did and why. So moving along. All right. Chapter one, Saturday, May 7th. Unknown entity at two o'clock. This was Terry, a clone of Terry Roosevelt from his portly years, sitting on the other side of the picnic table where Leah groomed her golden retriever. My comment on this is we're starting with another disembodied voice. One disembodied voice in the prologue we can get away with, but two is just asking for trouble. The follow-up here is much faster than in the prologue. But because of the way we're put right into the multi-person conversation, it takes a few paragraphs before we really know whose head we're in or who the POV character is. So that's really important here. Who is the POV character? Unknown entity at 2 o'clock. This was Terry. Obviously, somebody is telling us this, right? Um, it says, you know, sitting on the other side of the picnic table where Leah groomed her golden retriever. So we've got two people in this first paragraph. We know that Terry is not the, the POV character because it says this was Terry. So obviously this voice is telling us about somebody else. But we don't necessarily know that Leah is the main character because she could just be somebody else sitting on that table. Next to her, Jim said, I vote for romantic acid, acid. All right. So now we know that there's three people and we, we begin to think, all right, Maybe it's Leah, because Leah stopped pulling twigs from Honey's tail feathers and turned her attention to the dog park parking lot, though she wasn't in the mood for their usual game of stranger danger. So by now, we're going to start thinking, OK, Leah is the main character, the POV character. But it took us 
three, the end of three good sized sentences or paragraphs, whatever, um, to get that far. And we should never have that doubt of, of who, if there's more, if we've already had people named to us, three, three names by now, we sh it should not take us this long to know whose head we're in. So that's just something to keep in mind. Now, for this next highlight, um, where Leah pulled twigs from Honey's tail feather, feathers and turned her attention to the dog park parking lot, though she wasn't in the mood for their usual game of stranger danger, this is a thought action. Uh, I don't want to say violation. I'm searching for the word, but it's 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 uh, not working with that because we should know we should not have the action first and then find out that she wasn't in the mood because it dilutes that thought. And this is especially critical right now because this was Carol's main concern for this piece was that we would understand Leah's not happy mood in the moment. Something's weighing on her, something's bothering her, and it just got drowned out. It got sandwiched and drowned out between her pulling twigs from Honey's tail and now an explanation of the game. The game had grown out of their collective need um, which we are already familiar with because you read it. Okay, a Mazda Miata in classic grand, grand, Jaguar green positioned itself on the far side of the lot. And I said, this is a key moment. Oh, that was the previous one about um, she wasn't in the mood, so it got lost. And so the Jaguar positioned itself. This implies that the vehicle is only just now moving into the spot, which it very well might be. But because the characters were already talking about the vehicle, and the reading mind ends up struggling to picture this thing, then place the thing, then understand that this is the thing that the conversation revolves around. These, the elements are all there, but they're in the wrong order to create a true scene. And I've talked about that on um, one of my Patreon videos where I was discussing some of the struggles I go through in rewriting a scene where the elements are all there, but they're not in the right order and how sometimes you have to move them around and switch them around to get them in the right order so that that scene has a real consistent immersive flow to it. And this is not immersive. A Mazda Miata in classic Jaguar green positioned itself on the far side of the lot, away from the other car cars. Leah supplied Jim's missing word, assignation. So when I was talking before about how um, with the anchoring, some things were distanced from each other, this right here, where Leah's supplying the missing word, that needs to be up here, where Jim is saying, I vote for. Otherwise, it gets lost. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not anchored to anything anymore. And the reading mind has to go back and forth and kind of try and figure out, wait, what? Okay, and then move on. Terry weighed in. Nah, it's some hipster idiot picking up his daily hit of meth, recreational pharmaceuticals. And here my notes are kind of... Um, relaying what I, I've already said, which is what's being done here is awesome. The story is starting in motion. From the very beginning, something is happening and it's something interesting and curious and I love it. The issue is that there's a disconnect between what's happening in the author's head and what's being conveyed to the reader. The reader has no access to anything other than the words on the page and the reader can't see or hear what the author sees and hears. And these words entirely isolated as they are inside the reading mind only provides hints of picture. So now we move on. Okay, I'll play, Leah said, covert operator trading military secrets. And at this point, between okay, I'll play, Leah said, 
I noted that we need some kind of action beat, something to guide the reader that Leah is talking about, the green car. Because as I was saying, it's like there's this thing and they're talking about the thing, but it's not, it's <clears throat> in totality, it is clear. But we're not looking at the totality. We're asking the reading mind to just accept these words on the page and make a picture out of it. And the harder it has to work to make that picture, the more grit we have. And so we need something, a beat to, to smoothly guide it along from one thought to the next. And then after she says, okay, I'll play, Leah said, covert operator trading military secrets. How do you know he doesn't have a dog? Maybe he parked there so his car wouldn't get scratched. I said, well, there's a logic break. And I didn't have enough time at the moment to, to put it all into words because I was really racing the clock there. But um, there, there was a logic break in that flow. There's some, there needed to be an action beat to separate the true trains of thought or to connect them. Okay, I'll play, Leah said. Covert operator trading military secrets. How do you know he doesn't have a dog? Wait, what? How do you know that a covert operator trading military secrets doesn't have a dog? And did this covert operator trading military secrets park there so his car wouldn't get scratched? Like, there's three completely separate possibilities that she's throwing out and no logic to connect the three. That's a flow issue where action, uh, anchoring is where you're making sure the reader never gets lost on the page. Flow is making sure the author doesn't get lost, lost on the page. And in this case, it's not, whatever the author is thinking when this gets got written is not being conveyed to the reader in a way that it makes logical sense. Hmm. Look at that shine. The jerk hand waxes his car every week. He won't let dog hair in it. Sorry, Jackson, Terry said. Where is the comment to this? So when we have, I highlighted Terry said, okay, sorry, Jackson, Terry said to the hound mix he was scratching behind the ears, your claws will never sink into his leather upholstery. And I said, when we have multiple people in a conversation, unless it's very clear through the text who's talking, we want to put the speaker first so that the mental movie doesn't start playing with person A talking, then has to rewind and do it over with person B. He could have a dog that doesn't shed, Jim argued. No self-respecting owner of a Miata would own a poodle. It would destroy his manhood. Now, I hadn't read the entire scene at this point, and I'm like, wait, poodles aren't the only non-shedding dogs. For anyone who knows this, it creates a logic break between the two parts of the sentence. And then I had a personal opinion interjection, and one of my family members has a standard poodle that is kept close crop, no poodle haircut, and the dog is stunning and masculine and gets a ton of tension. And I know another guy, very masculine guy, who has a standard poodle, also close crop. So now me as the reader, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. You know, not only do we have a logic break where we're assuming that the poodle is the only non-shedding dog, they come in these big dog sizes that very manly masculine, masculine men have and love. So this is, you know, I'd be all poodle dog offended, which I'm not. But, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking and how do you how do you keep the readers from, you know, pick, picking at you? Jim's hoary eyebrows furrowed. Maybe he vacuums his car when he waxes it. 
Leah interrupted the bickering. Um, wait, did I miss something? Ooh, I did miss something. Um, sorry, guys. I know I've, every time I, um, I it's a lot of clicking up, going on, and it just yeah, goes from I'm the sorry. right side of the screen to the left side of the screen to the middle of the screen. So people that are just listening don't understand all the things you're trying to see and keep track of while you're while you're doing this. There's a lot of comments, and it, it gets really cluttered. So when when this somebody said no self-respecting owner of Miata would own a poodle, it would destroy his manhood. Um, I had my poodle comments, but I also said, who said this? There are three people in the conversation, the reading mind might assume it is Terry again, but it can only know what it is given. Jim's hoary eyebrows furrowed. Maybe he vacuums his car when he waxes it. Leah interrupted the bickering, though she knew Jim and Terry enjoyed it. Can you see the interior? If it's black, he doesn't have a dog. Everything shows on black. A guy who hand waxes his car would care. She loaded a tennis ball into her chucket ball launcher and lobbed it down the hill. Honey of the vegetation-free tail leapt off the table and scrambled after it. So my comment on that one is, now we know it was Terry and Jim, but the reading line had to stop and start the movie to get the picture. This is a way bigger issue on a first chapter than further into the story after the reader has a sense of rhythm and is going along with it. So we really want to know who, like, don't make the reader fight to figure out who is talking. The car continued to sit. Damn, unauthorized work break, Terry said, or a realtor between appointments. And I said, Dam is, I believe, connected to Leah's comment, un unauthorized work break. Comment, unauthorized work break continues the stranger danger game. But because there was an action between Leah's comment and Terry's comment, it creates a logic break between Dam and unauthorized. So we need to either separate the two or insert a movement beat to acknowledge the break. So it's like, it doesn't, there, there's, it's words that are spoken but disconnected from what's actually happening. And that's a, a flow issue. And so how's a realtor going to drive a couple to a listing in that, Jim demanded. Jim has a point, Leah said. Wait, here comes a minivan. minivan. Mr. Miata arrived early for the handoff to scope out the area for an enemy presence. Can't stash a rocket. Gotta go down a little bit here. Can't stash a, <laughs> no. Launcher. <sighs> <laughs> Thank you. Can't stash a rocket launcher in that trunk. He's selling a portable drive with a worm to penetrate the Department of Defense firewall. So I had three comments in that um, little sentence. Jim has a point, Leah said. Wait, here comes a minivan. Me. We have a minor logic break here. Mr. Miata arrived early for the handoff to scope out the area for an enemy presence. Another minor logic break. Can't stash a rocket launcher in that trunk. Another minor logic break. He's selling a portable drive with a worm to penetrate the Department of Defense firewall. They combine to make a, wait, what, huh? Oh, type reading experience. And this is a really interesting one because I go through this all the time when I'm writing Monroe stories. This section right here. Wait, here comes the minivan. Mr. Miata arrived early for the handoff to scope out the area for an enemy presence. Can't stash a rocket launcher in that trunk. He's selling a portable drive with the worm to penetrate the Department of, Defense, Department of Defense firewall. So you have this character who's got like this massive amount of um, information to process. And this is what I go through with Monroe. There's so many variable possibilities that this person could be thinking. 
and trying to explain how one relates to the other often creates more possibilities of what could be going on in that moment. So I can see what's happening here in, from, from an author perspective. The Miata has a small trunk, obviously. Can't stash a rocket launcher in that trunk. Well, you know what? There's like a thousand other things that could be stashed in that trunk besides a portable drive. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a logic break, but it takes so much mental work to try and dive down to the essence, and it can create so many extra words to try and explain this rapid thought process that it's easier to just put it there and move on. And it's possible a lot of readers will just read right over it and not care. But my job here is to look at how can we make this stronger. And these logic breaks are like, wait, what? Uh, where is she coming from? Oh, yeah, okay, I get it. And you just don't want to have that. And, and um, so the solution is clarity. We'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. But I'm just pointing out that this type of thing of, of so many, this, this rush of thought is really, really hard to do. It's so hard to do. And that is one of the things that makes writing Monroe books as hard as they are, is because her mind is going and processing so much information and finding a way to take all of that and make it boil down and concise and flow logically without those logic breaks that raise more questions is hard. So that's in defense of this paragraph that when I'm saying minor logic break, I am not saying that the author was illogical. It is, it is hard to do this. So Honey Return, dropping the Nosslobbery Ball. I don't have a lot of comments from this and we've already read it and we're short on time. So I'm gonna go all the way down to my next comment, which is after they had this, uh, you know, he's gonna get in the van for a sea of straight, uh, see it for love for a sea of straight Cheerios. Ew, right? Mm -hmm. So the woman exited the van and opened the sliding door, lifting a young boy down. Ah, Terry said, custodial handoff. I win, then Leah said. Chewie stretched his neck in canine bliss. Now, Chewie, had, she had been petting him a little earlier. And here I say, putting this here, Chewie stretched his neck in canine bliss, it interrupts the flow. Action beats like this are fantastic for keeping a sense of reality and for connecting thoughts, transitioning, etc. In this case, it serves no purpose but to inter interrupt at a point when the reader um, wants to know the answer to how do you figure, which is coming right after. So we need to either remove it or move it up to where Leah is scratching Chewie's ears. So how do you figure, Terry said? A transaction between hostiles. That comes closest to the spy scenario. Children come from romance, Jim said. I win. Dare I make a case that she was under the influence when she got pregnant, Terry asked. I commented out, this is anchoring. So much conversation has happened in such a short, period, short space, and these are all new characters, and I'm still trying to figure out who said what. This was like, huh? When he said that, dare I make a case that she was under the influence when she got pregnant. And since I'm story editing, I realize that they are each using some earlier comment to claim a win. The other two have said something recently enough to make their points, but I had to return nearly to the top to see what Terry's original guess was. 
a reader won't likely go to that effort. They'll just move on over this like an awkward speed bump. If we anchor it to what Terry originally said, then it will smooth it all out. No, Leah and Jim chorused. There's an exclamation point there. No, this is a flow issue. Why such vehemence? Due to the yuck factor of someone having been under the influence while having sex? Due to how far Terry stretched to try to grab the win? Due to them not wanting him to win? With a simultaneous, very solid reaction like that, there's obviously a clear reason. But that reason isn't made clear, which leaves the reader going, did I miss something? So I'll split the points with Jim, Leah said. Do these points mean anything? I want a stake when I beat Terry to 100. Make it 500, Terry said, and it's a bet. We'll be dead before either of us makes it that far. You're just saying that so you don't have to pay up. The van left. A standard poodle jumped out of the Miata. And my reaction is, ha, 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 <laughs> Well, so much for what I said earlier about people I know with standard poodles. This is a really good example, though, of how a logic break and or reader experience can totally ruin a scene and or steal its thunder. So what I said still stands. I had no idea there was going to be a poodle coming later. Um, ha, Jim sneered. Oh, wait, no, man, child, and dog headed into the woods surrounding the dog park. Ha, Jim sneered. And I comment out, we want this right after the jog jumps out of the car to connect one thought to the next or the action to the thought. Um, he looks manly enough to me, Leah said. And then I put a, um, a comment like, this is where the man, child, dog should go. Then paragraph break. Then Leah speaking again with they waited. They waited until mom was out of sight before they went into the woods. I bet she thinks Junior is coyote bait and doesn't want proof. And then um, I said, we need an anchor action beat because it went from, I bet she thinks Junior is coyote bait and doesn't approve, a green forester turned into the lot. There's got to be something there that breaks the conversation, even if it's just a paragraph break from doesn't approve to a green forester turned to the lot. Leah jumped down from the table. I want to talk to Anna. She headed for the gate, honey and chewy at her side. Anchoring. There's a beat missing that connects the car coming in to who is in the car. Without that, this car coming in, it's just a continuation of stranger danger until the reader realizes after the fact that this is someone Leah knows. And without the beat, the feminazi plotting is kind of missed. Because she goes, she headed for the gate and then Terry says, feminazi plotting, I must be on my guard. So all of these comments really are trying to get us to where the readers, trying to get it to where the readers with us on the page, beat by beat, and not having to stop, guess, second guess. Uh, the characterization is great. I don't have any complaints about any of this. I think it's fantastic. It's just a matter of cleaning it up in a way that the reader can can work with it. Are we doing okay on time, Steve? Uh, we're running a little bit long, but I, that's just the nature of the beast for a show like this. A quick comment on yeah. on the material, because I know what Carol was trying to go to. She's trying to create the sense that Lyra's upset, but I think it's really, really subtle in here, and it, you have to be looking for it to, to catch it. Yeah, I agree. That was her Carol's concern. Um, so that's why I... Like, in my comments as we move along, um, I have that in the foremost of my mind. That was her main concern. I want to make sure that gets highlighted. So here's my potential, quote-unquote, placeholder, take it for what it is, rewrite. Chapter 1, Saturday, May 7th. They were at the picnic table at the top of the hill near the lot, the three of them, in their usual twice-weekly dog park rendezvous spot. And I do not comment out all my stuff in this 
but I do for this first paragraph so that you can understand why I did this opening paragraph. They were at the picnic table at the top of the hill near the lot. This tells us where they are and how, I, how they are positioned right away. Bam, the reader knows. The three of them. This tells us how many there are in this little group, so we're not expecting a fourth person to suddenly appear. In their usual twice-weekly dog park rendezvous. This tells us how often they are together, which gives us a sense of how tight they are as friends. I'm making this up. They might get together every day, every morning. I don't know. I just needed some details to work with. Terry, on the table's opposite end, the end with the better view of the parking lot, said unknown entity at 2 o'clock. That, the, the part about the end with the better view of the parking lot, that hints at where they are and what's around them and continues to tell us where they are and how they're positioned. It also lets us know, as the original did, that Terry is not the point of view character here. Somebody else is. But we already have, we're, because we don't start with a disembodied voice, we don't start with the question of who is talking. We don't start wondering whose head we are in, but we're in movement. And so the previous version started with unknown entity at, at two o'clock and then said that was Terry. This gave us all the information we needed to know, told us Terry is the one who is talking, and then started where the other one started, unknown entity at two o'clock. Leah stopped pulling twigs from Honey's tail and looked up. Now, I use tail instead of tail feathers because in shuffling things around, I started with Honey's name rather than the first way that it was stating that she was a golden retriever. And doing it this way got the action moving faster, but it also re removed the detail of Honey being a dog. So I removed feathers and stuck with tail so that there's an immediate dog-like image versus any potential confusion that feathers might conjure up. And it's just one way to do it. It's not the right way, but I, I just want to know that, like, I messed with Carol's details and her texture, and I didn't want it to come across like, oh, you did it wrong and it should have been done this way. So I'm explaining the reason why I did what I did. So Leah stopped pulling twigs from Honey's tail and looked up. A Mazda Miata in classic Jaguar green entered the tree line drive. All right. I added that detail, entered the tree line drive, because it's a visual. It gives us something to hang on to. Continued around the row of cars parked nose to grass and on toward the back where there were only empty spaces. He stopped there, straddling the lines. Now, there's a, a key thing in this paragraph is that the car didn't position itself. The driver did. So it takes us out of the passive and it gives us some actual movement that the brain can hold on to. And it, it, it's enough to keep that movie going and give us the details that we need. Jim nodded toward the car and said, I vote for romantic as in, as in Leah supplied his missing word, assignation. That's the one. And, and I added the that's the one, that's dialogue that wasn't in the original because we need a beat, some kind of interaction before we offer a description. Terry, a clone of Terry Roosevelt from his portly years, weighed in. Recreational pharmaceuticals, he said, some hipster idiot picking up a hit of meth. Now, in the original, that was backwards, where it started with some hipster idiot picking up a hit of meth. 
recreational pharmaceuticals because logically we'd start with the wide angle and move in onto the details. This is the way our brains work. So, and it also makes it easier for the reader to follow along. It, it's setting up, it's foreshadowing for what they're doing with naming their key component, which is something that I didn't get until all the way towards the end of the first version. Jim said, meth, meth, marijuana, whatever. I added that because it's, it's, meth is not the first thing you think of when a hipster stops to get his hit, you know? So I just, you know, she can take, Carol, take it out if you don't like it. I just went with it. Leah went back to grooming the golden retriever and tugged a burr free. She wasn't in any mood to play their stranger danger usual, but the game made for a good distraction. So what I did here was I highlighted out um, and I'm focusing on Leah's mood. It's no longer sandwiched between two things. It's first and foremost above anything else that comes in that sentence. And then it is re-emphasized by using her reason for playing, her reason for participating as because it makes a good distraction. And that not only explains why she's doing this, even when she's not in the mood to, which there was no explanation in the, in the first version, it emphasizes the point that was made prior, which is she wasn't in any mood. So it's a, it's, this is the concern that Carol had was, does this piece give us that sense? Mm -hmm. And no, it didn't. And so, but we don't want to take a sledgehammer to it. We want to be very um, delicate in how we raise that issue. And so here's step one, the game made for a good distraction. Covert operator trading military secrets, she said. Now, before we had a logic break where she went covert operator trading military secrets. How do you know he doesn't have dog and whatever? I broke those up now. So they're not all in the same place. Jim gave her the side eye. A dog park on the edge of suburbia. What that does, it's an extra texture detail of where they are. It's a sense of place. Leah shrugged. And now we get the explanation of what this game is. It's not right up there in paragraph two. We've given our characters a, a chance to kind of interact and grow and figure out who sort of is who, whose eyes we are in. The guessing game had grown out of their collective need to know when unknown and possibly dangerous dogs were about to enter the park. But so many dogless drivers used the lot for other purposes that vigilance had morphed into speculation and then entertainment. She said, maybe he has a dog. Because, you know, she's answering now. Now that logic break comes from being questioned. A dog park on the edge of suburbia? Maybe he has a dog. Maybe he just parked over there to keep the car from getting scratched. Terry scoffed. Look at that shine. The jerk hand waxes his car every week. A guy like that wouldn't let dog hair anywhere near it. So you'll notice that over and over and over again, I am highlighting the person who's doing the speaking I'm tagging it then at the beginning of the sentence rather than at the end. And what this does is it lets readers know that reading brain that is dependent entirely on the words of the page to make this picture know who's talking early enough so they've already got their voice, the voice in their head. They've already got the picture going. They're not having to go rewind and redo it. And it, chances are most people don't even notice that it's being done. 
because it so seamlessly flows in, flows, makes the movie picture flow. Terry scoffed. Look at that shine. The jerk hand waxes his car every week. A guy like that wouldn't let dog hair anywhere near it. He leaned down to scratch the ears of a hound of the hound mix at his feet, and his tone went up a few octaves. Sorry, Jackson. Claws like yours will never seek into beautiful leather upholstery. Jim said, he could have a dog that doesn't shed. Terry stopped and glanced up. Like any self-respecting Miata owner would have a poodle. It destroys his manhood. Jim's hoary eyebrows furrowed. So he vacuums his car when he waxes it. Now, there's something missing here that was there before or there or shortly thereafter in this coming paragraph. And that's where Leah interrupted their bickering. And I talked with Carol about this and I took it out. And the, the reason why I took it out was because everything else in this chapter is very sparse on detail and inner thought. And it was just that, that one thing, Leah interrupted their bickering, though she knew they liked it. And it, it was jarring by its presence. So there will be time in the chapters to come for that type of characterization to come out in the story. But it, rather than try and add more and make it blend, I just took it out. But doesn't mean that it was bad. It just felt out of place. So Jim's hoary eyebrows furrowed. So he vacuums his car when he waxes it. Leah loaded a tennis ball into her chuck it ball launcher and lobbed it down the hill. Honey, tail now vegetation free, leapt off after it. What color is the interior, she said. If it's black, he doesn't have a dog. Everything shows on black, and the guy who hand waxes his car would care. Terry said, damn. The car continued to idle, and they drifted into silence. That characterization right there, that is a, a group dynamic thing of kind of showing how they interact with each other, which didn't exist on the pre in the previous version. A quick breeze gusted hints of fall's arrival. That tells us what time of year it is. We had no sense of weather or temperature or anything. Leah breathed deep, let it go, and sighed. Even the cooling, clean air couldn't clear her head. So what I've done there in adding that is I'm now tagging on a... Um, we know that Leah's mood is what Carol was worried about, that the readers would, would get it, like that she was not... that something was troubling her. So what I've done here is we had the first tag, now I'm anchoring this to the second. So the reader doesn't forget that there's something going on with Leah. Because if we wait till all the way at the end of the scene, it's too long. It's been too long to remind anybody that something's bothering her. And that's the whole point of this scene, something's bothering her. So even the cooling clean air couldn't clear her head. Honey returned. The retriever brought, dropped the now slobbery ball at Leah's feet. Leah said it bouncing back down the hill. Terry spoke again. Unauthorized work break, he said, or a realtor between appointments. Jim looked over his shoulder and scowled. How's a realtor going to drive a couple to a listing like that? Leah said, Jim has a point. Her schnauzer, Chewy, returned from his usual peregrinations for a pet. She scratched him down and he trotted off to sniff the base of a tree. Movement at the drive entry caught her eye. Now that was something I added because previously the minivan just showed up out of nowhere. And when you're really in somebody's head, when you're working from a character point of view, you need to see what they see. You need to give the reader a way to see what they see before all of a sudden, bam, this minivan shows up in the mental picture. So let's ease them into this. 
Movement at the drive entry caught her eye. And now we have a minivan, she said. Our covert operator, Mr. Miata, arrived early to scope out the area for enemy presence. His trunk's too tiny for a rocket launcher. He's selling something smaller, a portable drive with a worm to penetrate the Department of Defense firewall. So in the earlier version, we had three sentences. Um, he's this, his trunk's too tiny for a rocket launcher, so he's selling this, right? And there was little, these little minor, tiny logic breaks. And what I've done with just a few words is sort of given her logic flow there of where her, it didn't have to get into a big explanation, just a few words kind of guide her logic flow. So now there's no, no break. We're with it. We work with it. It doesn't matter if there's a bazillion other reasons, things that could have fit in that trunk. We get where she's going with this and we move on. It's a woman in the van, Terry said. He wasn't early. She's late. And I added that because originally it said, obviously, she's late. But we're starting to get that Terry's a bit of a curmudgeon here. So we want to really point out that he's making this a sexist thing. He wasn't early. She's late. So now to tie in to this whole one guy picked romance, the other guy picked drugs, because we've already forgotten now what Terry said originally. I'm using Jim, who speaks the next line, to anchor it for us. Your meth marijuana dealer's a woman. So now we're, we, we, we've been reminded that Terry um, had picked drugs. No drug dealer drives a minivan, Terry said. That's a soccer mom seeking coitus while her kids are at practice. Jim scowled. I already called romance. You said recreational pharmaceuticals make your case for drugs. So again, reinforcing what's going on here, just tiny minor tweaks inside the dialogue for the sake of the reader to, re to remind them, hey, remember that? Remember that? And so there's no jarring sense of, wait, what's going on? Because we, we've been guided into it automatically. Leah continued with covert operative. Which vehicle will they leave in? She said, the Miata is sexier, but the van is less obvious. They won't leave, Terry said. He'll get into the, the van for love and a sea of stray Cheerios. Ew. Chewy returned to sniff around Leah's ankles. She ruffled his ears. The woman exited the van, opening the opened the sliding door, lifted a young boy down, and nudged him toward the Miata. That is all detail that didn't exist in the first version. And I put it in there because we need something. If somebody's going to go, ah, custodial handoff or anything like that, we need some movement. Now, we did have the young boy being lifted down before, but we need to get him from here to there. And we need, because later the dog bounds out of the Miata without any sense of, did the guy come first? We never saw the, the guy. We need to have something that logically moves those actions into place. The woman exited the van logical movement beat, opened the sliding door. Now she can lift the young boy down. Uh, she couldn't just magically appear, right? And nudged him toward the Miata. Ah, Terry said, custodial handoff. I win then, Leah said. How do you figure? The guy doesn't, the guy hasn't even lowered his window. This is a transaction between hostiles. Spy scenario comes closest. So, I added that detail about the guy not even lowering his window. It doesn't have to be that way, but it feeds into the, the logic flow 
of transaction between hostiles. We're just giving the brain a little bit more detail to work with so that it just flows from, from one sentence, one detail to the next. Nope, Jim said. Again, that, that nope was added because we're, we're, con we're, we're continuing and we're changing the logic flow. And when we divert like that, we need to have a reason. We, we need to guide it. Nope, Jim said. Children come from romance. I win. Terry lifted a finger of protest. That was a, a movement beat that didn't exist in the first because we've had each one saying it was this, it was that. And before he makes this absurd outlandish claim, we want to give him something that indicates he knows that he's kind of like I caught the short stick on this one. But without that, it just kind of gets lost, what he said. And so we're we're highlighting, emphasizing it. Terry lifted a finger of protest. Dare I make the case that she was under the influence when she got pregnant? And because we've tied in the different beats to remind us of what he said, recreational drugs at the beginning, it makes perfect sense. There's no hiccup. There's no beat. We move on. Leah and Jim both looked at him. No. Leah said, Jim and I split the points. Jim grinned. What are these points worth anyway? When I beat Terry to 100, I won a stake. Make it 500, Terry said, and you have yourself a bet. Oh, sure, 500. We'll be dead before either of us makes it that far. The van started up and headed for the exit. The door to the Miata opened. A standard poodle jumped out. Jim said, ha. So that all is the same. I added the detail. The van started up and headed for the exit because in the prior version, the van just was there and that it wasn't like it, it, there was nothing. So we have to add, we have to make that picture. We have to give it what it needs. The door to the Miata opened again. The poodle can't just jump out of the car. Like we've got to give that, that movement for the movie. A standard poodle jumped out. Jim said, ha, the driver followed out. Leah said, it looks manly enough to me. The guy grabbed the kid in a hug, ruffled some hair, and then man, child, and dog headed into the wooded trail that led off from the lot. A little bit of detail added there that just didn't exist before, but it's enough for the mind to make that picture. Leah watched them until they were out of sight. They waited until mom was gone. She said, want to bet she thinks Junior is coyote bait and doesn't approve? Terry opened his mouth. A familiar green forester turned up the drive before he could answer, and Leah's lungs filled with whatever the breeze hadn't given her. Now, Carol highlighted that out for me, and she says, I have no idea what you're trying to say there, and that seems a little bit flowery. And I said, you're right. I'm really short on time, and it's a placeholder. So take it out, leave it, do change it, make it better. But what it's there for is the third beat, to tie in Leah's mood, the breeze. She takes an inhale of the breeze up earlier. The breeze doesn't clear her head. And now her lungs filled with whatever the breeze hadn't given her. She jumped down from the table. I want to talk with Anna, she said. Terry followed her gaze. Feminazi plotting? I must be on my guard. Leah headed for the gate, Honey and Chewie at her side, and waved him off without turning. So I tweaked the order of words down there to really emphasize what was going on, um, give Terry a reason for saying, like, why did Terry say feminazi plotting? Oh, he saw Anna. Okay, that's why he said that. And then Leah's on her way and gone, and that's the end. Well, we are at 59 minutes and 17 seconds right now, <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> which is which is an all time record. But I think it was worth it. I mean, this was fantastic. I just and I'm hopefully that if you're just listening, you're getting the same thing. But when I'm watching it on the screen and having gone through the whole 
presentation that you've done, everything that you did in the, the second half of this makes sense. And it, it just, I don't know, it really, it, it was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. All I'm trying things. to avoid vague words and, and come up with something better. <laughs> but it, it, there was a lot of a lot of here's how to fix this problem. And when I was reading the first, when I was reading the first draft, there were a lot of not the first draft, but the 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 version that that Carol had written. There were instances when I didn't know who was speaking until I got further along into the sentence, and just clarifying who's speaking in in all the different places that you did just makes it read so much smoother and it's so much it's so much more easy to follow the action because you're not trying to figure out who's talking and why why they said this that or the other thing and what that allows is allows because carol did such great characterization with her dialogue mm -hmm. but it gets lost in the who said it and by Clarifying that and, and making that clear, it allows what she's done to shine through and it just brings these characters to life. Yes, and you so, get a sense that, you know, they've they've known each other for a long time and they spend a lot of time together and the the bickering and this kind of thing is just it's just kind of their thing. Yeah. So um I I know the show ran long and I apologize for that, but if you guys like it more material. This is what we can do with it. We can help you with anything that you're struggling with, show you how to fix stuff. I have another piece that's uh, recent. I recently got that is from a fantasy. Uh, this is going to be fun for me because I don't normally get to work with non-thriller type stuff, but it's an action sequence, which that's kind of my specialty. So um, I'm looking forward to lining that up. I know we have um, some uh, listener questions that have come in, so we'll probably get to those first. But um, yeah, send your stuff in we can help with this and you know I, I really i'm sorry it's gone so long and and i hope that it was helpful no though. it's totally it's totally worth it um it, at least to me and i hope it is to the listeners and you're probably not still listening if it wasn't so for those of you that are still <laughs> listening thank you we're glad you found some value with this and i really enjoy it when we do these shows with the video and it, it just the the two mediums together hearing your voice hearing what you're doing and seeing it on the screen uh, helps to imprint it on my mind a little bit more, and I hope hope for the rest of you as well. And I'm hoping also to post these videos once I get them from Steve, since he's recording them. I'll post them as um, publicly available on the Patreon page too. So anybody who grabs their stuff from over there, or who wants to just visit it to grab it there, if the um, if that way of doing it is more convenient for you, I'm I'm hoping to be able to put them over there as well. Okay, cool. That's that's actually a, a great way of doing it. Maybe that's just the place we should put them. That's the place we should put the videos. Yeah, and, and they'll be public. So even if you don't have an account, it, it's it's cool. They're, they'll be available. And that is at? Oh, www.patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens. If you're going to go to the trouble of saying www, then you need to throw in the dot www.patreon.com. All right. Thank you. This has been fantastic. Thanks for all the work that you put into this. And Carol, thank you so much for opening yourself up uh, to this level of discussion. I just, you're awesome, Carol. And, I, and I'm not being, um, I'm not blathering. I really freaking love this scene. It, it was, I loved it. It was so much fun to work with. So thanks for letting me and thanks for letting us use it. And just, yeah, it's great. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening, guys.